スラジャンシュエディターはAnd、uh, we thought we would do just a little casual editor's corner where Peter and I, being the senior members, I guess,、uh, or the oldest <laughs> members of Sega Saturn Shiro, figured we would、uh, reminisce together and just、uh, talk some Sega Saturn. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the one thing、uh, with our group is between the two of you, I'm sure we have a mountain of memories to explore, you know, because we were there when, when the Saturn was current, when it was live, when it was at retail. We were there at the beginning, we were there as it was kind of. Falling from Grace and the other consoles sort of overtook it, but there were a lot of memories made, and that's what I'm really sort of hoping to dig into with uh, with uh, this cast that we're doing. So I'm, I'm really excited, and I actually want to start off, Dave, and just kind of ask I mean, you know, how did you get into Sega Saturn? How did you hear about it? What was your first experience with it? How did this all begin for you? Yeah,、um, well, I think that. I think that、um, it's interesting because while we, we were both there at the beginning, I kind of represent the folks that didn't know about it, you know, that or the marketing、mm-hmm. failed for them, you know, kind of. Whereas I understand you were kind of there from the beginning, beginning, you know, you were literally there.、Um, I wasn't the best Sa-、uh, Sega fan, you know, coming into the, the 90s. You know, I,、uh, my sister had a Genesis, and I would say that my brother and I played it probably more than she did, but、mm-hmm. I was. You know, I was squarely a, a Nintendo kid, you know, and I loved my Super Nintendo.、Um, mm. Loved playing, you know, games like、uh, Zelda and Mario Kart and even the Star Wars, you know, Super Star Wars games and stuff like that.、Um, you know, my brother and I would come home every day after school and play the SNES. And、uh, I think what it is is that、uh, once the,、uh, once the uh, Super FX games came out and I became aware of like, you know, 3D polygonal graphics in the home that just blew、mm-hmm. my mind because I'd seen Virtual Fighter in the arcades, you know. So, like, I or I'm at that point, it might have been more like virtual racing, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd seen it in like the movie theaters, you know, the huge、yep. cabinet, and、uh, you know, marveled at the the flash shaded polygon graphics, you know. But I had no idea that they could do that kind of thing at home, you know, because. Uh, you know, they would always say, Oh, we're bringing the arcade home, you know, whether it was Sega or whether it was Nintendo. But the truth is, kids weren't stupid. And we knew that, you know, playing Mortal Kombat at home wasn't the same as playing it in the arcade, even though it was like close, you know, it wasn't quite the same. And, and so, yeah, for me, I think I was just really impressed with the,、uh, I was impressed with Star Fox and stuff. But then、um, when Daytona came out, I was just even that much more like, I'd never seen anything with like textures like that, you know, a game running so quick、um, with textures like that. And I was just blown away. I'd play Daytona in the, at the bowling alley, you know, and、uh, it just impressed、oh, yeah. me so much. And I wanted,、uh, I wanted, I wanted to play that game at home in some, in some way, you know, and, and, and getting into the early to mid 90s there, it was like we were starting to see game consoles do that kind of stuff at home, you know, so. That's kind of where I came in, like, was just seeking out Daytona.、Um, yeah. And yeah, I found, uh, I've, I've kind of told this story before, you know, but, and, and so I could make a long story short by just saying that I was kind of、uh, dissuaded from going with a Saturn by one of, one of the electronics boutique store clerks. He kind of was just like, I understand you want Daytona, but check out that, you know, here's Ridge Racer on the PlayStation, right? And、um, maybe, maybe they just needed to sell PlayStations or I don't know. It could have been that,、um, like many stores, maybe the bridges were burned with Sega or something like that. But for whatever reason, the, the EB that I would frequent as a kid, they were really pushing the PlayStation. And my dad and I, I guess we just bought into it, you know? So it wouldn't be like until like a year later、um, when I was looking for 
my own console, you know, because my dad was a musician and he would take the console on the road with him. And whenever he was out on the road, I didn't have anything to play, you know? Uh, so yeah. I'd be, so I'd be playing my sister's Genesis, you know? And then that's the thing is I got like the Sega bug, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, these, are, these games are very much like the arcade and, and, uh, and, and I remember that store clerk told me that, uh, you know, that, that Daytona was on the Saturn, on this console called the Saturn. But I was like, what's a Saturn, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did you, wow. I, I have to ask, like, did you, did you know about the Saturn? Did you read about it in magazines? You saw it coming or did it just kind of like sneak up on you? No. So I did see it coming. And it's so interesting because uh, in the 16-bit era, I was the Sega guy. So you were the Super Nintendo guy. I was the Genesis guy for sure. Nice. And you know, it was when the next generation was coming, you know, having played games like Echo the Dolphin, obviously Sonic the Hedgehog and others, I knew that the only system that those franchises would potentially continue on was the Saturn. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was a, that was a no brainer for me. No matter what, I would commit to getting a Saturn. Um, so, yeah, I did follow it through like in magazines, because, of course, these were the days, you know, before internet was was really widespread and so the magazines once a month were sort of you know that was the place to look but you know even looking back now those magazines didn't do the most amazing job in highlighting uh some of the japanese games like you'd get your coverage on some of the really big titles but anything outside of that you know hardly got any coverage at all so i was aware that saturn was coming um, and it did finally, uh, you know, launch, of course, that surprise launch and what have you. And the price tag was just, I mean, I was a young teen at the time. So, you know, that price tag was just crushing and I could not afford it. And so I resigned myself to continue to play Genesis, you know, eventually getting a 32X to kind of get my fix. But you did get a 32X. Yeah. You know, and it was, but it, but, but the future was clearly with Saturn and, um, you know, did you have a Sega CD? Um, eventually later I would, oh, yes, okay. get a All right. CD as well, but, um, but not during the time, um, 32 X, like I just got caught up in the marketing, I guess mm, for 32 X. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I regret it. There's some titles on that, that system that I do enjoy, but, but yeah, anyways, um, so I didn't actually buy the Saturn in 95. I was well aware of it. I wanted it oh so desperately, but I did not get it in 95 because it was just too expensive. Um, and when Christmas 95 rolled around, you know, when, when Sega rolled out the big hits, you know, Virtua Fighter 2, Virtua Cop, Sega Rally, that, you know, validated to me that, yes, you know, there may be less games coming out for the Saturn compared to the PlayStation. More people may be hyped up about the PlayStation, but I want a Saturn. I do not want a PlayStation hmm. or anything like that. So I resolved, you know, I was a young teen, so I resolved to get myself a paper route. And I did that paper route for months and months for you know, peanuts and pay, but slowly but surely, I kind of put away uh, enough money to go in and buy myself a Saturn in uh, 96. So. Oh, you got yours in 96. To... Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. You got yours in 96. 96. Yeah. So even, but, but I have to say though, Dave, so I've actually rented it a few times in 95 because, you know, back in the days of Blockbuster, you could, you, you could rent systems and you'd get them in those, you know, giant plastic uh, suitcases uh, basically. And so I did end up renting a Saturn a couple of times. Um, I remember renting uh, uh, Virtua Fighter 2, Sega Rally when it was close to Christmas. And I remember renting Panzer Dragoon. And oh my goodness, did that game just captivate me. Mm. That was what did it for me. Um, I loved the game's um, sort of storytelling that it had. It was very visual. There was just a you know an amazing soundtrack to go with it and you could tell that this was stuff that was just not going to be possible on the genesis or the 32x or anything like that so you know that's what kind of hooked me and so i did rent it a few times on, on separate occasions mm -hmm. and then as a sort of motivation to kind of keep on with this crummy paper route and to save up the money and not get distracted i ended up buying a copy of panzer dragoon before i had the machine so wow you know it's it's yeah. So, so then, and, and you know, it was red book audio on, on the, uh, um, on that particular game. And so I would put it into my discman <laughs> and I would listen to the, uh, to the soundtrack, which I, you know, loved. And so eventually, you know, that kept me kind of motivated to, to earn, uh, uh, enough money through my paper route to, to be actually be able to, to buy a Saturn. So that's kind of how I jumped into it. So I was well aware of it the entire time, but it just took a while for my, uh, 
ability to to earn money to catch up and and jump in. That's crazy. So. You know, I feel like I feel like personally, I had um, like I was aware of Sega and I was aware of like their various attempts at, at different consoles. You know, like a, a friend of mine had the Sega CD, um, mm. which was a pretty pricey add on, all, you know, in addition to the games and stuff like that. But it was cool. You know, he had like lethal enforcers with the gun, you know, and he had uh, yep. a few a few other really impressive games. And, um, you know, so I was aware of that. And then, of course, the 32X. And I think I just kind of had like in my 10 or 11. I, I don't know how old I was at that time. Uh, but I mean, I had like this fatigue uh, about all of the stuff that was out there. And it wasn't just Sega. It was a 3DO and Neo Geo CD. And and even I've, I'd heard at that time in the game magazines about the PC engine and the turbo graphics and stuff. So it's like as a kid, you know, just keeping all that straight was kind of crazy. And so you know, it was the, the, the things that were the loudest, you know, were the ones that, that reached me. And, and honestly, I knew what the 3DO was. They were loud, you know, like the 3DO was going to like shake the industry. It was going to change up the game and everything like that. So, and it was like in 93, I was still, you know, into Super Nintendo and, and, you know, Sonic two and, and three, you know, but, uh, but then there was like this 3DO, which of course I could never afford, but I was still hugely interested. And I was going to the game store and I'd see it there on like a pedestal or whatever, you know, hyperbole or whatever. But I mean, it looked like, you know, oh, yep. you know, this console from heaven. And it was like $700 or whatever. Um, but, the, you know, the store clerk would talk about it, like how awesome it was and everything, you know. And, um, and so I was like keenly aware of that. But then, of course, once PlayStation and, and, and the buzz about Nintendo 64 came around or Ultra 64, you know, it was kind of like my, yep. you know, everybody's attention shifted over to that. And, uh, and then it was like the 3DO was pretty much everyone knew the writing was on the wall. It was dying out, you know? And, um, so about that time when I was seeking out a console for myself, you know, and again, like my dad had the the PlayStation and I thought it was great, but I couldn't, only, I could only play it whenever he was around, you know? Um, cause he just kind of like decided to take it, <laughs> take it on the road, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was looking for something for myself and I went into a used game store uh, when I, this was my freshman year of high school. Uh, so 97 and, uh, I went into, yeah, so this was, this would have been, no, this would have been 96, 97, you know, 96, 97 that year. And I went into a used game store and I was looking and they had the 3DO and they also had the Saturn there and they didn't have a PlayStation in stock because a used game store and the PlayStation was still so popular. They hadn't gotten any, or they didn't have a used one to sell, you know? And I was like looking for a console and the guys were like, well, you know, you can afford a 3DO now because they, <laughs> they've just like <laughs> got, fallen through the floor in terms of, you know, resale value. Um, but he's like, but I wouldn't go that way because, you know, it's 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 not the future. You know, you got the Saturn and that's pretty cool, you know, but, uh, you know, I picked up a Saturn because I was like, I remembered I was like, well, first of all, Daytona's on the Saturn, you know, Mm-hmm. And then second of all, I saw this crazy game called Knights, you know, in, in, mm. and, uh, I'd seen it that summer, uh, only subconsciously, you know, it was in my, it was in my peripheral or whatever nights, you know, it was just cause again, it didn't really register with me. Cause I was just like, it's on this weird black console that I've never seen before and I haven't heard about it. So I'm just going to keep focus on the PlayStation or the, or the upcoming Nintendo 64, you know, and just the. I can't tell you, like, for people that are listening and don't remember it, how big of a deal Mario 64 was. Like, oh, it yes. was it was the second coming or something like that. You know, like, it was um, what everybody was waiting for. Like, PlayStation, Sony would go on to have that kind of power with the market, you know, wait for the PlayStation 2. It's going to have a DVD drive, and it's going to have all these great games, and people would just do it because by then, that's the kind of status it had. Well, Nintendo back in the early 90s, mid 90s, that's what they had. They had that like cachet where it was just like everybody wanted to wait and see what, yep. what happened with the Ultra 64. And Mario 64 was great, but I had never seen anything like Knights before. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like Knights after. Knights is not for everybody, but Knights is for me. And uh that is one of the big reasons I decided to get a Saturn. I couldn't afford it at first, but I knew that if I got this Saturn, I would eventually get Knights, you know? So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I got my Saturn used secondhand, you know, <laughs> that is something. Yeah. Isn't that something? Hey, so here we are, two of the biggest uh, Saturn fans around and neither of us really had it on day one. And Mm-mm. and uh, you know what I mean? Like, but that yeah. could also be a function of our age, I think, at the time. Um, but, you know, so so by the time Mario 64 was hitting was the time that I picked up my first Saturn. It was around that time frame. And I remember the hype machine that was Mario 64 and yes. Nintendo in general. And you're absolutely right. It was very similar to uh, what Sony later did with their PlayStation 2. So so there was there was a ton of gamers who waited for a Nintendo 64 and, and what have you. But, but on the other hand, Sony did sort of uh, a masterful job at sort of catching everybody else. And so, you know, for all the talk that people have always um, sort of, you know, bantered back and forth about the things that Sega did wrong with the launch of the Saturn, in a way they were just caught in a really sort of awkward sort of intergenerational, like they, they didn't launch at a time suitable in comparison to their, their uh, competition. Absolutely. None of the headlines. Right. And so now, and I recall, you know, the first, my first experience with Knights is, Again, at the time, admittedly, Knights got a lot of good, solid press coverage, um, you know, uh, alongside uh, Super Mario 64. Mm-hmm. And I ended up renting the game. And of course, I, re- I did not rent a 3D pad. I just rented, you know, the game itself. And I had the the American style controller to work with. And that wasn't nearly as fun as an experience as it is with a 3- 3D pad. But mm-hmm. I it took a while for me to sort of understand the game and get into it. But, you know each time as I sort of got another aspect of it, it became that much more enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the one thing that I do recall is I was actually, it was very appealing to me, the sort of it, like the visual style of Knights. obviously it's a 3d game or pseudo 3d anyways, but, but it isn't as smooth and as clean as super Mario 64 was like, you could see pixelation on right. the textures and everything. So to me, it looked like, a really well done 2D game that just sort of popped up and became 3D. And so to me, that just looked super, super Kind of cool. like a pop-up book or something like that. Yes, yes. It's like a pop-up book of a, of a well done 2D pixel art game, you know? Yeah, Mystic Forest. Like that was the, that was the demo mm. that it was just looping, Mystic Forest. And you had these rings, these, uh, these, or, these orange orbed rings, you know, that you would fly mm-hmm. through. It was just, it's crazy. Like, you know, I was... I was familiar with the idea of flying through rings from Star Fox, you know, you'd fly, Mm -hmm. you you know, you'd fly, navigate through these rings, you know? Um, So that kind of made sense, but just the way that it, the way that it was so fluid, you know, the game is the game. It's just so fluid and, and the aerial acrobatics and stuff like that was just really, it caught my eye. And it's funny. I, I saw that it really got my attention when I was a captive audience waiting in a line, trying to play Mario 64 is what it was. I never would have given that game uh, uh, any, any any attention um, mm-hmm. if it hadn't been that I just I couldn't go anywhere, you know. And so I was just standing there in an EB, and it was just kind of like off to the side, you know, in, behind a glass case. They had this tiny little C, CRT, probably like a thirteen inch CRT, just playing this attract mode on loop, you know. And mm-hmm. I started looking at that and I was just mesmerized. I think it got me in a trance, you know, and I still played Mario 64. I mean, I thought it was great, you know, but, um, mm-hmm, but I just mm-hmm. didn't care as much. I was like, that's, that was fun. You know, that Mario 64 was fun, but this other thing, it's just so mystical. You know, this console is so goofy, you know, like the controller, like I'd never seen anything like that. I was like, it's, it's like shaped like a, like a circle, you know? Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. it's got this like weird analog nub and everything. So just everything about the Saturn to me, to my mind was just different, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like Apple says, think different, you know, <laughs> you know but like yeah, to yeah. me, it's like, okay, so, and I know this might sound trivial to people, but I was a kid. Okay. So my, I thought differently than I do now, you know, like, uh, the, the AV jack on a Saturn is like a mini din, you know, it's like this mini yes. din, but like, I'm used to like these chunky, um, you know, it's supposed to be shaped like an, either a Nintendo or a, or a PlayStation. They kind of did the same thing with like this flat chunky AV input. 
But yep. when I got a Saturn, when I got a, my hands on a Saturn and started assembling, you know, setting it up, I'm just like, wow, everything about this console is so different than what I'm used to. And I like it, <laughs> you know, like it's yes. different and I embrace it for that, like that different. It might be, it might be part of its demise, you know? <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's like everything that made the Saturn different is what I loved so much about it. Because at that time I was a teenager, I was going through a rebellious phase. I needed something that was unique to me, something that I could say that like, this is my console. I'm going to put my... I'm going to put my heart and soul into this console into collecting for this console and playing this console. And when my dad comes in and he's like, what you playing? Like, he's going to be like, Oh, that's cool. I guess like he didn't get it. Like he was totally, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. totally in the PlayStation camp. So I'm curious now, like, so for me, the Saturn and it's, it's game library has sort of aged like fine wine. I go back to it now and I play games and explore genres that I wouldn't have given the time of day back then. So I'm curious, was your perspective on gaming in general sort of much more limited back then? Like, were you, you know, looking for the shooters and the, and the fighting games? Were you disappointed with the Saturn's game library when it was current or was it sort of love at first sight? Um, yeah, it was, it was weird. Like I guess, so first of all, I'll, the only thing I was really exposed to back then was the American library. Full mm. disclosure. I, you could, if you were savvy enough and you had like an ST key or you, you, you went to the shops and you, you maybe if I had been a little older and I'd had a car and I, and I'd been more independent, I'd have been hanging out at game shops, talking to the clerks and making friends and importing stuff. But I wasn't at that age yet. That's when Dreamcast came around. I was old enough to be like importing games and being very uh, independent with my own money, you know, but uh, uh, when the Saturn, it was still, I was still kind of, you know, I was still pretty much a kid and I was kind of like, you know, taking my dad's advice on a lot of stuff, you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of not just not as aware, I guess you could say. And so I was pretty much limited to the North American library. That's what I knew. What I did know about the Saturn was that it was quirky. That North American library was quirky. Like, so one of the first games that caught my eye was, um, was Panzer Dragoon's Vi. Okay. I missed the mm. first Panzer Dragoon, of course, cause I wasn't there at the, the launch and everything. And it just, if I, I, I would come back and find out about it later, you know, but it was Panzer mm. Dragoon's Vi. So I was, I was, I didn't have a lot of money and my brother and I, we would basically um, check out games from the library is what we would do. And believe it or not in Reno, Nevada, that's where I grew up. They had Saturn games circulating in the library system. I don't know why I would say they had more Saturn games than they did uh, PlayStation games. And wow. maybe, maybe that's because the library was kind of old school and they, they were aware of Sega as a presence, you know? So maybe they mm-hmm. bought Saturn games to kind of put in their catalog took them a while to come around. It took every, it took certain people a while to come around to the whole idea that like Sony, this, this, uh, hi-fi, you know, audio, you know, appliance mm-hmm. kind of company is like making a game console, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, we, we would check out games like croc, you know, which was kind of weird. You know, <laughs> we'd check out, yeah. uh, pants, Jagoons, Vi, uh, Daytona again, uh, Daytona. I knew, let me tell you, no rose colored glasses. Like the moment my brother and I fired up Daytona on the Saturn, we looked at each other and we we're like, something's not right here. <laughs> like these graphics, <laughs> these graphics are a little iffy, you know, like, I don't know yeah. about this. Uh, like, we're like, look at that. Look, look at the background drawing in, you know, as you're driving, you yeah. know? So it's like, we weren't idiots. We, you know, even back then it didn't necessarily pass our smell test, but once we started playing it, we were like, oh, yeah, OK, this is fun. Like you're drifting around all crazy on the track yeah. and just barely hanging on, you know, and weaving in and out of uh, enemy cars. It was great. And so, yeah, I guess it was that it was the gameplay. Uh, Panzer Dragon's Vi. I'm like, OK, it's like this alien planet, dystopian future, beautiful graphics, beautiful music. You're riding a dragon. What more do you want? You know, like and and it's so uh dune like you know it's so yes weird for, yes. for lack of a better word it's just weird it, it, it's just everything that's playstation was not you know when placed mm-hmm. with playstation you had like tomb raider sorry i know it was on saturn as well but it was in my mind it was just more of a tomb raider or it was more of a playstation property because you know play tomb raider 2 and and what what yeah. have you but yeah. 
you had like these big blockbuster games, right? And it made sense, you know, it was a big, big platform. And you had, uh, what was it like Jet Moto, you know, games like Jet Moto, games like uh, Parappa, you know, really cool stuff, really accessible stuff. I would argue that the PlayStation is probably a more accessible console than the Saturn, you know, Smart, has more mass appeal, you know, but like, were those weird people that like decided to go a different direction, you know? Yes. You, you know, I, that's exactly where my head is at. To me, the PlayStation did a really good job. Sony did a really good job of positioning their PlayStation as that sort of mass market product. A lot of folks who weren't into video games before got in with the PlayStation, you know, and then Nintendo came in and they leveraged, of course, all of their properties where this Mario or Zelda or whatever. Um, and they did an amazing job transitioning those into 3D because even, you know, I would say arguably in the first year or so that the PlayStation and Saturn were around, people were still trying to figure out what makes a good 3D game. Like, you know, you know, the easy stuff like racing games. Yeah. Okay. That was there, but it was games like Mario and, and, you know, Ocarina of time that really kind of showed what a good solid 3d adventure would be. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you had the sort of mass market approach of the PlayStation, which they did an amazing job at. And on the other hand, you had Nintendo sort of trailblazing in the 3d uh, environment. And then you had Sega kind of doing their own thing. And they were, in my opinion, perfecting, what they learned during the 16-bit generation. So they weren't necessarily, um, you know, appealing to the mass market on purpose. They weren't necessarily sticking to just safe properties, but it was, yeah, like it was, it was not in the mainstream at all. And that just, that appealed to me, you know? And so yeah. that it was a very long time before I ended up getting a PlayStation or a Nintendo 64. And I didn't end up, I did end up with both with both consoles, but it wasn't until really like I would say ninety eight, if memory serves. So it was you know, mm -hmm. Saturn had kind of come and gone by then. But uh, but yeah, it was you know I've said this before a lot of times, but it honestly felt like being a Saturn gamer. First of all, it was lonely. Yeah, you know there yeah. there there weren't very many. You didn't have the internet connection. You didn't have you didn't have playground conversations. No, None no, of that. no, exactly, and. So, so that was the one thing. And then the second thing is you really felt like you wanted to go to all your gamer friends and say, you guys, you're missing out on these amazing experiences. Yeah. But instead they were into the jet motos and the, you know, all the other sort of PlayStation properties, which to me, like they had nothing on what Sega was pumping out. And it was so frustrating not to be able to convey that and, and what have you, you know, I, I, I'm curious, um, PlayStation I, I had the Square games, though. You know, they did have... That was one thing that yep. made a difference to me. They did, yes. And it's funny because, you know, when uh, Final Fantasy VII came out and that sort of started... Because up until then, even in North America, arguably both systems at the time were at least considered to be um, uh, viable. Right. But after Final Fantasy VII and the sales of the PlayStation just skyrocketing, at that point, you know, Saturn started really becoming sort of relegated, right? Yeah, I mean, um, when they started giving away like three games for free, you know, that's free. When, and I mean, they weren't just yeah. any games. They were like the flagship titles, you know, they, like their best games they were giving away for free, you know, so that was pretty crazy. Sure. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, they were bleeding. I'm curious, Dave, do you remember what your first Saturn import was? Yeah, so it would have to be, okay, this is taxing my memory because my first Saturn import was probably a burned CDR, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. Okay, so yeah, no, I, I have to be completely honest with folks. Um, I So Saturn... I think the last game that I played on the Saturn before kind of shelving it and moving on to the Dreamcast would have been Sonic R, you know, and mm. it wasn't a great experience when I first played. Like I'm like many people out there did not get it and w was kind of frustrated by the, the controls of that and everything like that. I thought the graphics were pretty good, but you know, I was, uh, I was in a graphic design class with a friend and he was moving on to like uh, save up his money for Xbox, you know? Yep. And he kind of gave up, he, he just kind of given up on his Saturn and he was like, hey, you can borrow anything that I have, you know? Just let, you know. So I borrowed some things from him, you know, to try them out and stuff. And, and he had some imports. So I guess, you know, I might've played um, uh, Street Fighter 
Alpha Street Fighter Zero Two, like the mm. import version. You know, I and uh, and he let me use his. Uh, I think it was an ST key. You know, the, or a region yep. region cart. You know, but um, but other than that, you know, it was like I moved. We got a Dreamcast in the house. You know, 1999. We got a Dreamcast, and um, it was amazing. Like, and I also started a work job. Like, I, I started to work at Circuit City, so I was there at the launch of the Dreamcast, and I remember how oh, wow. big it was. And it, going back to something you said earlier is that Sega just had such terrible timing. We always mm-hmm. say proud. I like to say proudly that they were always ahead of their time. You know, always they were always innovating. They were always way ahead of everyone in terms of uh, innovation. You know, online gameplay, all that stuff. But unfortunately for them, they were always just a little too early. You know, like the 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 dream. Uh, the Genesis was 89, you know, so it was like 32 or it was 16 bit, but it was early. And then the SNES comes out and like, you know, perfects it in certain ways and kind of like, yep. you know, shows it up. And of course, you know, Kalinsky did kind of gain back that market share in the West. But for the most part, it was just a case of it being kind of early, you know. Um, same thing with like, same thing I would argue with Saturn, you know, early, uh, <laughs> I mean, not even ironically. It, it was literally launched early, but I mean, th- again, like it just was too early. And then uh, the Dreamcast was early again, you know, and then it, it's always like they would show their hand first, basically. It's like somebody yep. showing their hand and then uh, it gets trumped by something better, you know, or something that the the mass market latches onto more, you know. Yep. And so I don't even know where I was like, basically, yeah, so I. I got a Dreamcast and I fell in love with the Dreamcast. And I think that that was kind of like a decade long love affair with the Dreamcast. And then kind of, you know, looking at consoles like, because uh, Dreamcast died out. And then what did we have? So I kind of went back to Nintendo with the GameCube. I, I voted, I rooted for the underdog, you know? Yeah. Rather than latch on, rather than go to mainstream with like uh, play, PlayStation 2 or Xbox, I kind of went with the GameCube. And I was that annoying guy in the, in the game stores who was like, GameCube graphics are better than everything else. Yeah, I, I was like, I swear GameCube looks better than Xbox. And I don't think I really believed it, but I would, you know, I would still try to convince people. Um, but yeah, then I, so I actually went back to Saturn is what it is. I went back, uh, headed back for Saturn about a decade later and learned how to burn games is what it was. Yeah. I learned how to burn yeah. games. And that opened up a whole new world of six, 700, I don't know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't burning any Mahjong games or anything like that, but I mean, it opened up a huge world of, of games to me. And so that's, I would say, is really when I really became aware of imports. Interesting. Interesting. Did you actually buy imports, like back in the day? Yeah, well, yeah, my first import purchase was in 2001. So, oh, okay. you know, that was, the, the Saturn was it had just sort of kind of faded out of retail, even in Japan, but that by then, all right. But, um, you know, but what sort of got me into importing was one of the very last games that came out for the Saturn in North America is shining force three. Oh yeah. And of course, you know, as you know, that's part of a trilogy in Japan. We only got the first part translated. It just came way too late and into, in the uh, Saturn's life cycle here for it to have the remaining, parts translated Hmm. but that was a game that to this day i rank as my second favorite saturn game behind knights um it's so good oh it's it's just phenomenal it does require a bit of a time commitment but you know it's 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 just fantastic i loved camelot's uh uh games at the time they were just pumping out I thought fantastic games. I loved the art direction, the the sound, everything. Anyways, the you know once I finished the game a few times, I just I needed to know how the story continued. I needed to keep playing the ah, series. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so um, my very first import purchases were the three Shining Force three uh, games, and so at the time there were no translations available, of course. There was no such thing as, you know, Google Lens or anything like that. Like, no. so there was, there was nothing. And so um, just by knowing the position of, you know, where each icon was, and, and they were mostly visual, so you could sort of play. Right. I was able to play through the games, Scenario 2 and 3, without really understanding what was happening, you know. Wow. Um, but I, 
I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. A few years later, there was a team that I think it was the Espinia team. They began to translate the game. And this was, you know, this was early days of translations. So um, what I ended up doing uh, is downloading the translated script, which ended up filling two um, three inch ring binders Mm -hmm. And, and following along, like during the battles, there would, there would not really be any text or at least, you know, you, you could figure out exactly what was happening because it was very visual, but in the town scenes and in the cutscenes and whatever, as you know, the game played, I would kind of refer to my huge binder and flip pages and, and read it. So that was my second sort of playthrough with those games. Um, and this time it was, you know, sort of another new level because now I could understand and follow the story. And of course, as we know, eventually the, you know, the uh, games were, translated to a point where you could play them in English on actual hardware, but now we're fast forwarding, you know, quite a bit into the future. Right. Um, but that's kind of what, what started it for me. And, you know, at the time it, there was a magazine out in Britain, the official Sega Saturn magazine that towards the end of its yeah. life cycle, it began to cover imports. Right. And so a lot of my import ideas actually came from them. You know, I picked up games like radiant silver gun games, like cotton, uh, two, just because they featured them in OSSM. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, it, it was a while before I got into burning games and all the rest of it. But, but, uh, you know, that kind of got me in on a lot of the uh, import games really early on, you know, before, before there was anything on YouTube about them, or before people were sort of talking about them in, in an accessible way, like they are now. So you know what's that's kind of, yeah, like, Richard Ledbetter, Sam Hickman, Lee Nutter. Oh. Those guys were my Saturn friends. We talked about like not having Saturn friends, you know, not having schoolyard conversations. Like I roped my brother into the Saturn, you know, and I, cause he was younger and he would just kind of like go along with it. But other than that, I really, you know, so I would walk to Barnes and Noble. They, they had an import section, you know, and they had that magazine. It's like, so I would read that magazine cover to cover, you know, because yep. it's like, that's it for me. That was like the, that was my connection, you know, to the world of Saturn, you know, cause there wasn't anything else out there. And so, yeah, I agree with you there. Such a great publication. And, um, you know, my first import purchase was actually Shenmue too. Uh, so yeah, I was, oh, just, wow. yeah, you're like, I'm not 40 yet. I'm, I'm I'll be 40 at the end of this year, but I think you're just a, a year or two older than me. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so you, yeah, that's, that makes sense. You know, you were just a, a little bit more independent than me at an earlier stage, you know? And so it's like, I did finally buy my first import game and I felt really big about it too. I was like, Oh, this is so cool. I bought a game from Japan, you know, it's Shenmue 2, <laughs> you know, um, actually, no, it was the PAL version. It was, it was the PAL version of Shenmue 2. And I had a special disc Dreamcast disc that would allow me to boot it, you know? And, but right. it was still just subbed, you know, it was subbed. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that that was it for me. But uh, but yeah, it, it's just crazy, you know. So let's talk about OSSM because that's obviously a publication that had a big impact on both of us. Yes. Were you there at the beginning of that magazine's run? Because I certainly wasn't. Nope. It became available in Canada around issue, I want to say, 16. So by then, Sam Hickman had moved on and Rich Ledbetter had come in. Right. And I saw it on the newsstand. And I was like, what, what? This is a Saturn dedicated mag. Like, sign me up. So I bought a copy and the quality of the magazine just sucked me in right away. I mean, they yeah. were just, they were the masters at what they were doing. And so, you know, since then, I've obviously collected the entire, uh, the entire run of the magazine. And to this Thanks. day, it holds up. I mean, these are the folks that I look up to when I, um, you know, write my own articles and whatever. So they've had just an unbelievable impact on, on me as a Saturn gamer. And I just want to, I'm curious what your, how, how it impacted you. Well, it definitely, it definitely impacted. I mean, I'm going to say a lot of the same things. I wasn't aware of it at the beginning, but then again, I wasn't aware of the Saturn at the beginning, I guess, Mm. I guess whenever I, you know, became a Saturn fan and started, you know, consuming for the console, you know, and looking for stuff, you know, looking for tips and tricks, that kind of thing, you know, is when I sought out, you know, pre-internet or at least pre like <laughs> good internet, you know, yeah. uh, you know, if I, if I had access to, yeah. So I'm trying to think, like, I think I got on the internet in like 90, late 97 or 98. 
at, at our house, you know. So before that, it would just been school, you know, like the the yep. the net the internet lab or whatever computer lab. Um, but yeah, no, I I uh, loved going to Barnes and Noble back then because it was a brand new store in Reno. It was like this huge two story store where you could come and you could sit down and with a cup of coffee or you could even have your lunch. You know, <laughs> and there was like comfy yep. couches and everything like that. I mean, now we live in the age of Amazon and everything, you know, instant gratification, you know, buy it today and get it tomorrow. Um, but I mean, back then, yeah, we, my brother and I would walk to Barnes and Noble, even on a really cold winter day, and we'd have somewhere to sit for hours and in the warm, you know, comfy atmosphere and read uh, graphic novels, you know, or anime. Uh, they'd have all sorts of imported stuff. And when I looked at the magazine section, you know, because I'd look for other game magazines. Um, yeah, they had Saturn magazine. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really surprised that they have this. I wonder how many people are actually buying it, you know? They'd only have, yeah. like, one copy. One, maybe two copies, and I was the one that was interested in it, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. the, the one thing I can say that struck me, just like you said, is, like, um, just the size of that, you know, the, those yeah. <laughs> British paper, you know, the A4, I think it was. Uh, you know, the size of that paper... And just uh, the quality of the magazine just was far and beyond like anything else. Maybe save for Next Generation. Your Next Generation was another one of those yep. magazines that I had huge respect for. But still, you know, OSSM was it for me. Yeah, Burning yeah. Rangers was one that I remember late in the late in the game, being like another one of those games that's just like, what? It's a firefighting game. It, is anybody going to buy this? You know, like as a, as a, as a Saturn fan, I was just like, what are you doing Sega? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, of course yeah. it ends up being a great game. Yeah. I love it. But, uh, but it's crazy. Like, cause back then I just couldn't understand like how that would, there would be a market for that, you know, like space firefighting yeah. game it seemed off the wall, you know? Yeah. I loved that Sega had no compunction about releasing just, and I mean, this was a bigger thing in the Dreamcast era too, but they just yeah. released all kinds of of things that that I don't think Sony or Nintendo were all that willing to try, and that certainly would be a lot. You know, it, I, I guess in today's day and age, that would fall on your sort of independent uh, developers, like your indie indie stuff, right? Because the big companies, the big productions, they won't often take those huge, giant, massive risks. And you know, as as amazing as Burning Rangers was, um, I'll share a quick story of how I came across that game, how I. Uh, picked up a copy. So obviously it was a 1998 release. At that time, at least uh, where I am um, up in Calgary, Canada, there's no, at that point, the Saturn had left retail. You couldn't, you know, go to Walmart or whatever and buy Burning Rangers anymore. Right. They had cleared out and wiped out all the Saturn stuff. But there was a local um, video game store in Calgary. It's still around, actually. It's called Video Game Trader. And I was on good terms with the owner. Um, and you know, he would often take trips down to E3, um, because at the time E3 was not really open to the public. It was more of a sort of a trade show where, you know, suppliers and vendors and whatever would get together. Products would be showcased. There'd be journalists, of course, but you know, he would go as a, as a store owner to decide which products he wanted to order and, and in what quantities for his store. Um, so he would start bringing me back titles that were, you know, impossible to come by at retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, with no, no Amazon, no internet purchasing, you know, to talk about back in those days, you know, if you didn't have those sorts of connections, you know, you just didn't get the games. And so he did end up getting me copies of Shining Force 3, Burning Rangers, Panzer Dragoon Saga, all those games that you couldn't really buy at retail anymore because nice. they had pressed copies Mm -hmm. and he was able to get them for me and you know i remember looking at the case for the game and thinking wow they they put anime on the front cover like you know these weren't rendered 3d graphics which was almost a must to have on the cover of a you know of a of a game case at the time and and the game was amazing and i thought geez like how clever the the amount of emphasis there is on the audio part of the game like having to listen to cues to right. know when a fire might explode or to listen to your navigator or to you know to listen to the radio chatter between other members of the burning rangers team and you know years later there was a a dump on hidden palace of you know prototype of burning rangers so i checked it out i played it a little bit and it's 
it's so amazing that the types of things that they were planning to include in that game, like there was initially a versus mode that was planned, right? Um, as well as a network cooperative mode. Like, could you just right. imagine yes. how amazingly um, ahead of time, yes. uh, ahead of time that would have been. And, you know, these things didn't come to pass. It's still an amazing game. I, I absolutely love it. It's not, doesn't quite have the same replayability as Knights, in my opinion, but it's still, you know, it's still phenomenal in that respect. And, and, you know, it's gosh, I mean, we could talk about, um, so many of our favorite Saturn games, but burning Rangers is definitely up there. It's, mm-hmm. it's a real solid I mean, game. Sonic team, right? I mean, they just, yeah. they had a magic, they, they really yep. did have a magic, uh, back then with everything they put out, you know, everything they put their stamp on was, uh, I mean, it's art. It's easily arguable that they haven't aged perfectly, you know what I mean? Um, sure. and, or that they're not for everyone, you know, like with Knights, I would say, uh, it's, great game but i mean it's not for everybody it's an acquired taste i get that burning rangers really bizarre really kind of off the wall but i mean if you're on uh if you're like you know up for the you know up for the adventure and along for the ride it's it's a great experience and you know even sonic adventure like people say you know it hasn't hasn't aged that great but it was amazing when it came out you know um mm. i know people have different feelings about that but i mean basically like you know they didn't make bad games like they made like really really cool you know lovingly crafted ex- gaming yeah. experiences you know so i gotta ask you dave so aside from knights what would you say is your favorite saturn game and has well, that changed over time yeah it has changed um I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Shining Force 3. Uh, there's a game I slept on for years because I didn't like how it looked in screenshots. I thought it looked ugly in screenshots. And wow. I, I, I would always be amazed that, you know, I'd be reading something in a magazine that said, this game looks great. And I'd be like, do you see this screenshot? It doesn't look great to me. It kind of looks like, uh, <laughs> like the console threw up on screen or something. But, uh, you know, yeah. like, again... Don't judge games by the screenshots, folks. I mean, because seriously, like games can look completely different or feel completely different in motion. And then coupled with the music and everything, of course, like Shiny Force 3 doesn't have the best graphics ever. But I mean, it's got it's got a vibe. It's got a feel to it. You know, those graphics are something you just fall in love with. I think, you know, for me, you know, the color palette that everything about that game was chosen on purpose, you know, very, you know, like I just love it. Like you, I, it's become one of my favorites. Uh, Dragon force, not a game I originally, uh, mm. knew about much less played. And then when I did play it, because everybody told me you're supposed to play this game, you have to play this game. It's one of the best games on the Saturn. I just got bogged down in menus at the beginning and like moving on the tiny little mini map. And I was like, oh, well, this map thing looks to me like uh, those Koei games, you know, <laughs> like the yeah, yeah. Uh, the three kingdoms or what. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I, that's not what I'm about, you know? Uh, but then of course I was completely wrong, you know? Um, and I fell in love with those menus and those systems and the me- and the moving on the map and so once I got it, you know, thanks thanks again and shouts to Chaz Picardi, one of our uh, yeah. uh, old sheroes, you know, who still still streams to this day, you know, and he kind of really taught me how to fall in love with that game, and I did. Um, but I like weird stuff too. I've always liked weird off the wall stuff. I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of cinema, and I'm a huge fan of like David Lynch kind of stuff. I love bizarre quirky stuff so i really do love games like lunacy you know um yeah it yep. just struck a chord with me i love lunacy it's up there i always say it's probably like my second favorite game i don't really know i mean it's so hard there's like basically like a huge basket of games that i can't decide which one goes where but i mean it's way up there for me um yeah and then you know yeah so i don't know like i, I would have to say like lunacy's way up there Knights is up there and it will stay up there for so many reasons. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing game. It's, um, so much, so many things about it, I think are just as close to perfect as you can get, um, for what it's trying to be, you know, like, don't take it as like a, a 3d platformer because it's not, you know, but for what it is, I think it just succeeds on so many levels and it's just so lovingly made, but also all the feelings and emotions that I have attached to it 
the music, the, the, the kids singing, you know, that I discovered on the CD when I put it in my CD player back then. Um, the, 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 the gate to Nightopia or what you know, the, the music that would play, you know, and yeah, it have like yeah. the home alone, <laughs> you know, voices in the background, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Oh, all yeah. that, all that stuff, the clock, the, the, the dream, the, the, the Jungian kind of psychology, uh, that, that the game uses and stuff like that. And it's, uh, the fact that it's highly, uh, inspired by that, uh, Cirque du Soleil mystere, you know, yeah. Yeah. the, the purples and the greens. I know Digi Valentine, if he's listening to this, will know what I'm talking about. Cause he's like a huge fan of like green and purple, that color combination and Knights uses like Knights just uses colors like so brilliantly. Um, we're at like 10, 10 minutes left on this. So I'll probably wrap that up. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, Knights will never be dethroned in my in my book because there's just too much. I have I'm just too too invested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know it's the same for me. Obviously, Knights is it's to me it is my favorite video game of all time, mm. regardless of platform or whatever. And again, for much the same reasons as you outlined, to me it's a it's it's a very pure video game. You know, mm-hmm. it's a game that's meant to be played and experienced. It and is yes, a video game. game. It is yeah. a video game, right? It Nothing is, else. Not, no, it's not meant, it's not like a cinematic experience. It's not a strategy, you know, simulation. It is a video game. And, and you know, that that's, you know, perhaps the highest compliment that you can, you can pay to a piece of software is that it's a fantastic video game. Mm-hmm. And that that's what it is to me. And, you know, looking beyond nights for me, you know, there again, just as with you, it's a basket of games. I could talk about that that resonated with me at the time or that really made me go, wow, this is, you know, uh, this is phenomenal. So games like the original Panzer Dragoon really, really hooked me mm-hmm. uh, with its music and its its style and direction and its minimalist storytelling. I absolutely thought they did that as well as, as oh, anybody, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and it, you know, um, it could be because of course the hardware did limit them from doing more, mm. but it, boy, does that ever hold charm now? Right. Um, and then Zvi and Saga, of course, Saga they capitalized is, on those limitations. Basically they did leave they, them they, wanting they more, the, right. Leave them wanting more, more. Let them, yep. l- leave it up to their imaginations, you know, and they'll, they'll yes. run wild with it. Yes, exactly. You know, it's, um, I have a lot of sort of sentiment attached to Panzer Dragoon Saga. Mm. That's a game that I started reading about in 97, that they were working on it, that there was going to be a Panzer Dragoon 3. And you could tell at that point, even me, the fanboy that I was, I knew that, okay, you know what? The the gravy train, like we're we're getting off the Saturn train pretty soon here. It's, it's coming to an end. People were upset. Um, I would still, you know, the place it was at that point that I was starting to consider, okay, maybe it's time to invest in a PlayStation. Maybe it's time to pick up an N64. Um, But I held out hope for two games. One was Lunar because it just kept getting delayed, but yeah, it was still coming. Mm -hmm. Lunar was still coming. (laughs) And then the second game was Panzer Dragoon three or what ended up being saga. Right. And, you know, when I finally got it and I got it quite close to launch, thanks again uh, to, the local video game trader who ended up uh, picking it up for me. Um, when I played through it, it was such an amazingly well done, bittersweet farewell to the 30 bit Sega, 32 bit Sega that I loved. You know, mm-hmm. I knew that beyond that, you know, there might be the odd game or whatever, but I knew that beyond that, if I wanted to continue in this hobby, I would have to turn to, to Sony or Nintendo um, you know, thank goodness the Dreamcast eventually came along, but yeah, that definitely it was a dry a year. <laughs> it was, it was, it was an absolute, and you know, again, at that point I was, you know, still quite young, so I didn't have a lot of disposable income, so I couldn't get into importing quite just yet. So yeah, it was definitely a, a dry year. Um, but I was able to, in, in about eight, in round about April of 99, I was able to experience the Dreamcast. It was a, an import unit that I'd rented again from that same video game trader with um, a couple of games such as Virtua Fighter 3, Pen Pen Triacelon, which I absolutely fell in love with, as well as Godzilla, uh, which was not a very good game. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not no. very good. But but yeah, I you know, what I saw playing those games, it's like, you know what? Sega will return. They will exist. And the the style, the flavor, the the sort of 
vibe of gaming that I enjoyed the the most was going to come back again, mm-hmm. you know, when the Dreamcast launched. But yeah, but you know, back to sort of favorite Saturn games over and above nights. So obviously Shining Force 3, that's that's number two for me. Uh the Panzer Dragoon series is right up there. And there just is there's just so many more. Burning Rangers, so many Rangers good games. They're, they're, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about them. <laughs> we're going to talk and, and about we, them. Yeah, we'll cover them all. You know, and I think the neat thing about the U.S. library being so much smaller than than the Japanese library is the ratio of solid and good titles to to sort of you know m- you know not not good titles right. is actually pretty good. It's a good ratio yeah. for um for gamers. So you know. And I still haven't, you know, played even half of all the possible software that you could play on the Saturn. So there's still a lot of gaming ahead for me too. Yeah, I have to say my 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 favorite game of all time. You said you said Knights was your favorite video game of all time, and um, for me, it's very close. I I think it it's certainly my favorite Saturn game, bar none. But I think my favorite video game of all time, and I've said this before, is gonna be Fantasy Star Online which is also a Sonic Team game, uh, which hit me in all the feels at the right time in my life. And it was online and I would like, the music is just absolutely fantastic. Like I could, I listen to that soundtrack in my car. I listen to that soundtrack mm. all the time. I, I absolutely love that soundtrack and I absolutely love like the character designs and just everything about it is dripping Sega, the best, the best parts of Sega. Um, mm-hmm. all of my best yeah. memories, you know, it's just are in, I would say embodied as cliche as it sounds in that game, you know, and the fact that it's online and there's like a community aspect to it and that people have brought it back online and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you can play it still today. It's just such an amazing game. But again, it's that Sega DNA, you know, that we love so much. Um, I always say it's like a, it's like a je ne sais quoi, you know, like I can't, I cannot put a finger on what it is at times that makes Sega so unique. But um, somebody once said, um, I think it was Claire, you know, she said that it was wholesome, you know, like uh, just so many of Sega games, Sega's games are kind of like, uh, kind of like naive and wholesome in a way. And, um, and, or just, you know, just not so taking themselves so seriously, you know, just like focus on bringing a really solid arcade experience home, you know, and just doing it well, you know? Yeah. And that, that that's reflected in the peripherals that they put out, you know, and in the games that they put out, you know, and it's just, well, we're, we're, we've got like three minutes left, so I know we're not going to cover it here, but we're going to, we're going to talk some more about, you know, the peripherals and about the games and about just, everything that made Saturn so special to us and, and it continues to be, you know, definitely. I think that this will be a neat little, uh, podcast that, that we, that we put out, you know, being two fellows that were there sort of during the time that the Saturn was current and collecting sort of formative gaming experiences, you know? Yeah. Um, and as much as there are some amazing sort of, current developments uh in terms of saturn um i really i just there is a an amazingly massive dose of nostalgia attached to to experiencing saturn today and 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 going back to what it was like you know those mid to late 90s and all the new things that were coming out and the sort of the wild west um of game development you know the first steps of 3d so i think that you know, these are going to be conversations that I can't wait to share with folks and, um, you know, just, just reminisce, like, because it's, it wasn't something that you could do easily back then, mm-hmm. but, but here we are, thanks to technology and whatever, we're able to talk about this stuff now. And I, for one, I'm, I'm just super excited. Same here. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, we're, so similar in our mindset and like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the experiences and memories that we share, you know, despite the, the uh, many, many miles that were separated by, um, you know, I remember seeing a lot of the posts that you would do back in the day in the Facebook groups and seeing how passionate you were about the Saturn and like about nights, you know, and, uh, just your ability to, you know, express yourself very vividly. And of course you're a great writer, you know, part of the reason why, 
you know, I really wanted you to come be a part of Shiro, you know, and it, and it paid off so much because, you know, we've become friends and you're kind of like my Saturn brother, I would say, you know, uh, we share a lot in common and, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. I'm just really excited yeah. to be able to do this, this little mini cast series with you and, uh, you know, excited to talk and reminisce and, and tell more stories and, and hear more about like your Saturn experiences for sure. So until next time, this has been Saturn Dave and Peter from Sega Saturn Shiro and editors of the Shiro magazine reminding you to play your Sega Saturn and take care, folks. Take care, everyone. <laughs>